0: Okay. Good morning, everybody. Wow. Talk about a busy morning. Right in the middle of Leah's offering prayer, I went, I have no microphone. <laughs> so if you saw me jump up and run back there, I'm like, uh, something's missing. And some of you are going, good. Leave it off. All right. Hey, um, welcome. Glad that you guys are here. I am super excited about this weekend. Uh, as we were praying this morning before services, I just said, you know, this, this is more than just a message. This is more than just worship. This is more than just baptisms. It, it feels, and baptisms are, are such an appropriate thing to happen this weekend because to me, in my heart, this feels like the beginning of the body of Christ coming back into the church, coming back, having fellowship events, doing the things that the body of Christ is meant to do together. It's one thing to watch it on, online at home or watch it later or stream it or, or those sorts of things, but you can get great worship online from anywhere in the world. It's the wonder of the internet. You can get great teaching from any of your favorite teachers anywhere in the world at any time on demand. The one thing that you cannot get and you cannot replace online is community, fellowship in the body of saints, the body of believers here, encouraging one another, lifting up one another, and just being the body We can't duplicate that online, and thank God we can't duplicate on that line. I hope nobody ever figures out a way to duplicate that online, because it means so much to be here, and this just feels like the kickoff of that summer. The weather's beautiful. We got hamburgers cooking on the grill. We got cakes and desserts and all the normal things, and it's just going to be so exciting to watch people either, either commit or recommit their lives to Jesus as we have baptisms after service. So one of the most important things, or or, important's the wrong word, the most heartwarming things that ever happen here in this church is when we do baptisms, and we have a number of people who sign up, and they do it, and that's absolutely wonderful. There's nothing more fun than watching people cheer as somebody comes up out of the water, renewed and reborn. But those that specially touch my heart are those who just spontaneously say, you know what, I didn't bring a swimsuit. I didn't bring a towel. I wasn't prepared, but I have to do this. And they step up and they do it. And to me, those are the ones that mean so much. So if you're here or if you're online watching and you're within driving distance and that thing is just stirring in your heart like, I need to do this, just come. If you haven't signed up for it, that's fine. Just come. We're going to kick off after the second service, so at 1230. So just come on back in. If you haven't been here for service, come for hamburgers and fellowship and for the baptisms. Um, we've got other things that we're celebrating. This is, this is sort of bittersweet news. Gary and Anna Miller. Gary and Anna Miller have been a part of this church for so long. They've been on our board of directors and, and just such an integral part of everything that we do. And they have felt the pull of the Lord and the pull of their family to move to Oklahoma. So they're moving to, uh, I think, outside of Tulsa, Oklahoma is where they're moving. And this is going to be their final service here before they they leave. So they're going to be here, second service, and we've got cake. We're going to celebrate that. So stick around um, to do that. On that note, though, that just brings up um, the need. And I know I'm doing announcements. I'm cutting into my own message time. But it brings up the need for people to step up and help us. We need greeters. We need people in the various ministries. We need another board member. <laughs> we, need, we need all kinds of things to help this go and to help it go even better. We need prayer team. We need security team members. As people start coming back in the building, we need to ramp up those things to help serve the body. So if that's something that's on your heart, let us know. You can email us, info at discovercommunity.church, or just talk to Gabe or I or any of our pastors in person, and trust me, we'll get you hooked up if you're willing to help us out. Um, and then the very last thing, again, in the, just in the vein of getting back to normal, we are going to start serving communion here. So if you're out there at home, nothing will change. If you're here inside, you may have noticed we moved the table in the back. We still and will always have the single-serve communion self-serve at, at, the, um, at the side crosses. So if, you, if you're more comfortable doing that, do that. We'll always have that. But there's something special about being able to serve and receive communion directly. And so we'll be doing that after the service. I'll announce that. So if you're wondering why the cups weren't out there, that's why. Okay, clean break. Let's start. Did I cover everything? I think I did. And then some, probably right. So um, let's get going on our message. We are in uh, we're in the study of Job. Okay, it's called blameless. A study in the life of Job, and it's called blameless because God Himself declared Job to be blameless, not sinless, not perfect but blameless. Meaning that for the things he was required to do at the time, offer sacrifice and to intercede for his kids and for himself, he did those things. He did everything that he was supposed to do at that time. And he was a good guy, upright guy, did everything as right as a human being could do it. So here we are. I'm not going to recap everything that happened up to this point. Go back and check on our website. If you missed any of those, you can get all the message archives. But Job, a good guy, whole series of horrible things happened to him, and here we are now. We're going through this period where the friends have been beating him up back and forth, the friends who traveled from a long way just to come and berate him for being in pain and for losing everything that he's lost. But we need to keep in mind the focus, the point really of the entire book of Job. Now, you can read the book of Job and just say it's pain and suffering and, and patience and perseverance, and, and okay, that wouldn't be totally inaccurate, but I think the more full picture of what the book of Job is about, it is that God will and does always use the trials in our lives the trials, the pain, the suffering in our lives and the lives of others, and globally the suffering and the pain that goes on in the world, he has promised and he will use that for our good. In this case, we see that that Job is in a pretty good place already, but God sees something in Job and says, I know that there's more in you. I know that there are things that we can knock off. And so when the devil presents an opportunity, God says, you know what? Let's put Job into that fire. Because that fire that the devil is going to stoke for Job is going to burn off some imperfections in Job. Knock off the rough edges, if you will. And Job is going to come out of that fire more refined and more beautiful and more able to fully receive the blessing that God has for him than he ever would have been without that. He was doing okay. How many of us feel like, I'm doing pretty good in life? There's always things that God can and will and needs to refine in us. And there'll always be those things. But God promises that pain and suffering that comes our way is going to be used for that. That's where we are. That's the point of this book. So let's get get going. Last week, just a super fast recap of last week. Elihu, who's the fourth of the friends, and he just kind of appears out of nowhere, But he's a messenger. He's delivering a message from God, preparing Job's heart because Elihu's almost done. We'll be done with Elihu today, and then it's just a back and forth between God and Job. But Job wasn't necessarily in a place to receive what God had for him. And so I believe that God sends Elihu to kind of prepare him, kind of get his heart warm to the ideas that God is going to confront him with. And and I think that's why Elihu is here. So last week, we see that that Elihu is basically saying that, that God's going to use this pain, Job, to bring you to a better place. He's going to use it for your good. He says that pretty much explicitly, Job 33, 17, 18. He says, so that he may turn a person away from bad conduct and keep a man from pride. He keeps his soul back from the pit and his life from perishing by the spear. He's basically just saying, look, God's going to bring these things, this trial, this stuff you're going through, in order to keep you safe, to turn you away from bad conduct, to knock that pride off of you, to keep you away from the pit. It's this idea. It's called redemptive suffering sort of in here that what Elihu is saying, and it's just that idea that God will, God will and is always in a process of refining you. And by you, I mean everyone in the world. And he'll he will he'll lead you first with that still small voice. And if we can hear that and be obedient to that, we can save ourselves a lot of trouble. But it doesn't always go like that. Because after that, if that doesn't work, then he'll send a warning your way. If that doesn't work, he'll put the fear into you. And if that doesn't work, then comes pain. And we can kind of guide how that goes, by whether we are obedient to what we hear from God or whether we buck the system and try to do it our own way until we finally realize our own way isn't working. And then we come back to the place that God wants us to be. This is exactly, it's exactly what Jesus does. Remember I said that that the book of Job and like Elihu, characters like Elihu, are actually a type and a shadow of Jesus. And we see Elihu here. Elihu's not condemning Job for the things that he had done in his past, these imaginary things that his friends are doing. Elihu's focused in on how he's handling his trial right now today. Just like Jesus doesn't care about your past, he cares about how you handle your today. And he's going to be there to walk through it with you. This is the message that we need to take away from that. Now, after this brief kind of prideful outburst, remember Elihu's speaking from the Spirit. He says over and over again, the Spirit's given me these words. But just like any human being, when there's a lull in the action, we can't stand silence. I know I can't, so I have to fill that silence with words. And they're not always Spirit-led words. We kind of see that with Elihu. He speaks from the Spirit, and then we see him drift into his flesh. And then he speaks from the Spirit, and we see him drift into his flesh. And after this brief kind of prideful outburst of of his own wisdom, where he rehashes this theology of retribution. Remember, the theology of retribution, do bad, and bad things will happen to you. Do good, and good things will happen to you. It's pretty straightforward, and it's not inaccurate entirely, but it certainly doesn't cover the whole spectrum of human experience. We see this doesn't play out that clearly in life. But he gets back now. Elihu gets back to speaking from the Spirit. He can't always contain himself and go completely by the Spirit, but this next section is pretty Spirit-filled. So the last section, the last two chapters of Elihu is 36 and 37. We're going to cover those both today. It's 57 verses, two chapters, 57 verses. And through my study, through reading it, I'm going to boil both chapters down to two scriptures, two verses. And I'm going to share them with you. And so if you've got to go, listen to this, and then you can leave. You've got, you've got it. Don't leave. There's so much more. First one, Job 36, 15. Now, we'll, re- we'll revisit these later. Job 36, 15. He rescues the afflicted in their misery and opens their ears in time of oppression. And then Job 37, 13, whether for correction or for his earth or for goodness, he causes it to happen. Those two things, if you just write those down and study on those things, it gives us the glimpse of what's actually happening here. Now, we're going to look at that closer in in a bit. Now, I use the New American Standard That's the version that I use. Every now and then, I will look at the NLT or the NIV or different versions because I just like how they phrase things sometimes. And they're accurate translations, but they might phrase it a little differently. I'm going to read you those two, same two scriptures in the NLT. See if it doesn't change your perception of what he's saying here just a little bit. Job 36, 15. But by means of their suffering, he rescues those who suffer. For he gets their attention through adversity. By means of their suffering, he rescues those who suffer. Your own suffering will be used to rescue you from suffering. Isn't that kind of hard to wrap our minds around? We're going to go into that in a little bit. Job 37, 13 then, the second one. He makes these things happen either to punish people Or to show his unfailing love. Hmm. Now, if we just take that snapshot and walk away, I think we'd be good, but let's go even deeper into this and see what we can pull out, okay? That's the point of the book of Job. The book of Job is not about needless suffering, it's not about an indifferent or uncaring God. It's not about an unfair or unjust God. It's not about a spiteful God. That's not what the book of Job is about. Now, that might be where his friends tend to go. But here's what it is. It's a promise. The book of Job is a promise that in this life, you will have trouble. Anybody ever heard that scripture before? It's from John 16, Jesus says this himself, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. Not might, not could. You will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. It's that promise, and it's another promise. It's this promise, a promise that every single bit of trouble the enemy of your soul can bring to bear against you Not only can, but will be used for your good. Every bit of trouble, every flat tire, every sickness, every heartache, everything that comes your way, we are promised he will use it for your good. Romans 8.28 says, and we know, many of us know this scripture, but I'm going to read it to you anyway. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Now, you might hear that part and just go, oh, it's just a feel-good message that God's going to use everything for your good and and all that. And yes, it is feel-good. That feels good to know that a sovereign God's going to use everything for your good. But it's not just that. It's not just a feel-good message. It is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Another scripture. This is from the prophet Isaiah, Old Testament scripture, Isaiah 54, 17. Another familiar one. No weapon that is formed against you will succeed, and you will condemn every tongue that accuses you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. Amen. Exactly. Think about those two promises. No weapon formed against you will succeed. Every tongue will be condemned. All things will work for the good of those who love him. Now, the question, do those promises exempt you in any, in any way, any fine print way that you can look? Do they exempt you from suffering? Do they exempt you from heartache? Not that I can see. Do they say that everything will always go the way you want it to? Do they say you'll always understand why things happen the way they happen? The answer to all those are are no. And then the last question do those promises require any input from you in order to access those promises? Trick question. The answer is yes. The answer is yes. We need to serve Him, serve God in humility and obedience and stop trying to fight our own battles. Because when we don't serve him in humility and obedience, and we try instead to step out on our own and fight our own battles, that's when those promises, they may still apply to you, but they're not going to work out in your life. All we can do is mess up God's plan. Those promises apply if you trust in him and persevere in spite of the attacks and trials that this fallen world throws at you. It's why Satan is doing everything he possibly can to get Job to renounce God, to curse God, and to sin in what he's doing. Satan's throwing everything that he can at Job, trying to get him to give that up, to renounce that. And it's the same tactic that he uses with us today. He will throw things your way everyone's way in order to try and get us to say, you know what? This God thing is not working. I, I can't trust in that. I'm going to have to try and figure this out. And as soon as you do that, you step outside from that umbrella of blessing that God's going God's to use. Now, he will, ultimately, God is always going to have his way. But how much trial are we going to have to go through, walking paths that aren't the ones intended for us before we get to where he wants us to be? Let's take a look then. It's a little bit closer at some, some of the scriptures in 36 and 37. Job 36, 1 and 2 starts out like this. Then Elihu continued and said, wait for me a little, and I will show you that there's still more to be said on God's behalf. Okay? He's, again, he's claiming God's speaking this through me. I am, I am God's spokesman in this. Job 36, 3. I will bring my knowledge from afar and ascribe righteousness to my maker. In other words, he's saying what I'm about to tell you, isn't from around here. What I'm about to tell you comes from a source far beyond what we can understand. And even though I don't think he understands it, but this is what he's doing, okay? Job 36.4, for my words are not false. One who is perfect in knowledge is with you. Again, he's saying that he speaks from God. This is another one. I want to illustrate something really quick on translational differences, that's from what I just read you, for truly my words are not false. One who is perfect in knowledge is with you. And the word one is capitalized. That's significant. If you have, a, say, a KJV, for example, it reads like this. For truly my words shall not be false. He that is perfect in knowledge is with thee, and the he is a small h. Fine details, but I want to point this out to you. What that means, if you read the KJV version, you, it might make it seem like, okay, my words are true. I know everything, and I'm going give to give my words to you. When in fact, and that's been fixed in the New King James, they've actually repaired that, that translational issue. But what it means is, is that God's perfect knowledge is here. God's perfect knowledge is being spoken through me. Might be a fine difference, but it's significant, and we need to know that. And so sometimes those translational differences really change the way a scripture reads. Now, verses 5 through 14, basically Elihu does this thing where he kind of slips back into reaffirming the retribution theory. Remember, do bad, get bad. And it can be summed up in verses 11 and 12. So Job 36, 11 and 12... If they listen and serve him, they will end their days in prosperity and their years in happiness. Let me stop there. How many people, how many of you know that if you serve him, if you listen and serve God, it is no guarantee of living your life in prosperity and happiness? Verse 12, but if they do not listen, they will perish by the sword and die without knowledge. Another error in the way that things work in the world, right? It's not entirely wrong, but we've all seen some pretty evil people who prosper here on earth. Now, their eternity is another question, but they prosper here on earth. So, it's not an entirely accurate statement. So, that retribution theology is very, very limited. Then, now we go back to this aforementioned nugget of wisdom that I told you kind of encapsulates the entire Uh, the entire chapter 36, it seems very out of place for something that Elihu would say. So it's definitely spirit-led. Again, Job 36, 15, he rescues the afflicted in their misery and opens their ears in time of oppression. Now remember, this is written, Job is written in an ancient ancient Hebrew. Some call it Paleo-Hebrew, but it's ancient, ancient Hebrew. And sometimes the unusual syntax makes it difficult to understand what he's saying, and it makes it seem if you just read that, he rescues the afflicted in their, ministry, in their misery and opens their ears in times of oppression. It would make it seem that God will not let you face times of misery and oppression. If you're heading that way, he'll rescue you out of it. But what it really is saying, and kind of my personal paraphrase here, is God will use your suffering as a tool to focus you in on his voice. Where then he will guide you into a place of blessing. We're never promised he's going to pull us from the storm. He'll lead us through it. Job 36, 16. Then indeed, he induced you away from the mouth of distress, and instead of it, a broad place with no constraint, and your table was full of rich food. Okay, this is another one of those, like, what is he What is he even saying here? Let me, this part where it says, he induced you away from the mouth of distress. In Hebrew, it translates as a phrase, I'm going to butcher it, but and what it really means is he would have brought you out of this place if you had listened. He would have brought you out of distress had you listened to him. But instead, he counters Job 36, 17, but you are full of judgment on the wicked. Judgment and justice take hold of you, which is not true. Again, this is an example of Elihu speaking from his, from his flesh. Now he goes on to caution Job about the dangers of letting his pain turn into anger, letting his pain turn into sin. So verse 18, beware that wrath does not entice you to mockery. Verse 19, will your cry for help keep you from distress? In other words, is, is, is just the fact that you're crying out to God enough to keep you out of trouble? Verse 21, be careful, do not turn to evil. Now he he then turns to ask the kind of questions that we're going to see next week when we go into the conversation between Job and God. God asks Job very much these very same questions. And so it's almost like Elihu is kind of preparing Job to, to hear these things. Job 36, 22 and 23 Behold, God is exalted in His power. Who is a teacher like him? who has appointed him his way, and who has said you have done wrong in other words who's who's got that kind of power? who has the kind of wisdom that god has job thirty six twenty nine Can anyone understand the spreading of the clouds, the thundering of his pavilion? He launches into this into this section where he 's talking about. God controlling the lightning, God controls the clouds, God controls everything. And he's really just talking about God's power, how powerful God is. And this is a good reminder to all of us. The same God that created the heavens and earth also controls the lightning, where it will hit, controls the tides, when the oceans will move. He controls all of those things effortlessly. It's just a part of who he is. And yet, He is still here with us, and he is still interested in your life, and he still knows you, the number of hairs on your head, and he cares about all those things. Elihu is saying God is is powerful beyond comprehension, and yet he is still here with us, illustrating how small really Job and and all of humankind is. Then we move into chapter 37, Job 37.1. Also... Or at this also my heart trembles and leaps from its place. He's just saying, I even just the thought of how awesome and powerful God is makes me tremble. Job 37, 2, listen closely to the thunder of his voice and the rumbling that goes out of his mouth. 37, 3, under the whole heaven he lets it loose, and his lightning travels to the ends of the earth. Again, he's going through this whole thing comparing God's power to the, to the power of, of thunder and lightning. Job 37.5, God thunders wondrously with his voice, doing great things which we do not comprehend. We can't comprehend. Job 37.6, for, for to the snow, he says, fall on the earth and to the downpour and the rain, be strong. He controls all those things. Job 37.10, from the breath of God, ice is made and the expanse of the waters is frozen. 37.12, it changes direction, turning around by his guidance that it may do whatever he commands it on the face of the inhabited earth. God controls all these things effortlessly every day. Can you do that, Job? Hmm. Then, kind of the question that sums up this chapter or the statement, which I read earlier, Job 37.13, whether for correction or for his earth, or for goodness, he causes it to happen. God has every force at his disposal and commands them all. Nothing happens that God is not aware of and in control of. Nothing. Job 37, 14 to 16. Listen to this, Job. Stand and consider the wonders of God. Do you know how God establishes them and makes the lightning of his clouds to shine? Do you know about the hovering of the clouds, the wonders of one who is perfect in knowledge? An interesting one for me, Job 37, 17. You whose garments are hot when the land is still because of the south wind. Now, that, that might just seem like an interesting phrase. He's talking about Job. Can you explain how solar radiation and heating works to me? Not only can you explain it, can you make it happen? The answer is obviously no, and he's just talking about God's infinite power. Job 37, 19, teach us what we are to say to him. We cannot present our case because of darkness. A little smarminess, a little little cockiness from him. Since you're so smart and we're so dim, Job, explain these things. Explain the weather. Explain lightning. Explain these things to us. Now, the parting words of Elihu, the last thing he says here, Job 37, 23, 24, the Almighty, we cannot find him. He's exalted in power and he will not violate justice and abundant righteousness. Therefore, people fear him. He does not regard any who are wise of heart, meaning just the fact that you think you're smart means nothing to him. He is abundant in righteousness. He's exalted in power. This is the speech from Elihu. And this wraps up Elihu. We won't hear anything more from him. We won't hear anything more from any of the friends. And it's meant, again, this speech is meant to prepare Job's heart to better receive the correction that God is going to be speaking to him very, very shortly. So to summarize Elihu's entire speech here, God will use anything and everything at his disposal, to guide us through trouble, including the trouble itself. Does that give you a different way to look at trouble and trials in your life? God's going to use that to help us navigate it again, to help us navigate life. That pain, that trouble, he's going to use it. Secondly, the goal is not to make us comfortable. Believe it or not, the goal of life is not to be comfortable but to teach us and refine us. Number three, the degree of suffering depends largely on how we handle the trial. And then number four, God's ultimate goal is to bless and restore us if we trust in him. Blessing and restoration don't always look like our brains think they ought to look. We need to keep that in mind too. In Job's case, we'll see blessing and restoration looks just like we would think. Sometimes, That blessing looks like a refinement and a growing and a desperation for him. So if we want to apply this today, if we want to apply this to our lives today, I think we have to just ask some questions. Ask ourselves some questions. Ask this, do we pridefully navigate trouble in our lives in our own wisdom, doubting either God's plan or God's willingness to get involved? The second one, do we get impatient waiting for God to avenge us or restore us? I know myself, like I know God will restore. I know God will will avenge the wrongs that have been done. But he hasn't done it yet. So what am I missing? Maybe I just need to take it into my own hands and start the ball rolling. Maybe he needs me to give the pump a little prime. It always goes wrong when we do that. And then the last one, do we focus only on our pain and suffering and fail to praise God in the storm? It's very easy. When you're suffering, it's very easy to draw into yourself and you don't see anything around you. You don't see how your suffering affects the people around you. You don't see how it's reflected to others around you. You don't see the things that are happening in the kingdom when we use our our pain and suffering and we just focus in on ourselves. If we are able to praise God in the middle of a storm, not when it's over, thank you for bringing me out of that, praise him in it. That's when he can use everything for your good. That's what we need to to remember. It's so easy just to come through a storm with a combination of prayer and here's how I'm going to navigate this thing. And then when it's over, go, thank you, Lord, for getting me through. It's so easy to do that. Right in the middle of our deepest pain is when we should be praising him the most. And that goes so against what our human nature is. That's why it's a godly nature. Every trial that comes your way is an opportunity to praise and glorify God. And I want to close this up before we pray with just a quote. I borrowed this quote from Pastor Chuck Swindoll, and he said this, we take a major step towards spiritual maturity when we finally realize that it's not about us and our significance. It's about God's magnificence, his holiness, his greatness, and his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your greatness, your magnificence, your glory. We thank you that despite the fact that you are God Almighty, you are El Shaddai, you are the everything, the Alpha, the Omega, you don't need us. You don't need us for anything, and yet you love us. You love us enough to send your Son for us. You love us enough to make the moon and the stars and the sun obey your will to give us life on this earth. You love us that much. So, Father, let us praise you. Let us glorify you in everything we do. Let us praise you in the painful times. Let us praise you in the good times, the joyous times. Let us praise you in everything that we do. And let us always give you glory. For everything in this world. And Father, we do. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, next week, next week again, after, after an agonizingly long silence, we will get to see God speak to Job. And it's, it's a great wrap-up to the chapter. So we are going to go into communion now. We have... The crosses Over at the crosses is self, self-serve communion. You can go over there. If you're at home, grab your supplies and take communion yourselves. I won't be leading it through you verbally this time. But you can always do that. Gabe and I will be up front this time and we'll be serving you and you can just kind of form a line and come down there and take communion. But let's do this joyfully. Joyfully and thankfully for what God has done and what he will always continue to do. We have prayer team that are here. Prayer team will be in the back. Look for a lanyard. If you need prayer for any reason, see them. And if you're feeling that tug, like maybe I do need to get baptized. Maybe it's baptized again. Maybe it's give your heart to Christ for the first time and seal that with baptism. You can come back. If you're out there at home, you can just drive in, 1230, just drive in. And come join us for that. It is a joyous time and I look forward to that. But guys, let's let's stand up and worship. You can be feel feel free to move around and start taking advantage of those things and we'll serve communion.